We serve a great God. We serve a great God. Amen. It is a pleasure to be with you this afternoon, actually. And I hope you have joy being in the presence of the Lord to be in the house of God. Um, Pastor Perry prayed um, and he mentioned that people now in Haiti are arming themselves because they're afraid that people would come in and maybe do kidnappings and other bad deeds. But we can still come here and worship without the fear, without any worries at all. Um, and that is worthy to give God praise. Just that we can gather together. You all look good this morning. I'm glad to see you. Wave at your neighbor. Tell them you look good. You look, you look fine. You look Jesus fine. You look sanctified fine. Amen. So last week, we concluded our fall classic series. It was a, I believe, an inspirational series. So we invite you to log in the YouTube channel to tune in those um, those sermons um, and, and the whole worship experience and then revive your faith with the fall classics where we um, explored some of the classical verses that we all know, but maybe it's good to take a second look and, and be inspired anew. Now we're starting a new series. As you guys can see, you're starting to see the lights come up, right? Now, how many people you saw Christmas commercials already? Actually, you probably saw Christmas commercials before Halloween was over. Amen. And it's kind of feel like even a little too soon. Christmas is my favorite holiday. Of all of them, I love Christmas the most. But this year, it feels a little different. I don't know if you feel like me, but after two years of pandemic, after everything that we've been through, uh, the lights, they don't seem as bright as they did before. The gifts are not as appealing as they are before. Uh, it, it just feels different. And I think that gives us an opportunity to maybe revisit what Christmas means for us. Uh, a lot of times we get it conflated with what it means for the culture. And, and, you know, and the, the, the eggnog, the pumpkin spice, and all of those different uh, Christmas traditions, which are fine, but we cannot forget the source for the tradition. We cannot forget the reason for the season, like we like to say. And so the new series that we're going to do is going to allow us to view the, the reason for the season, which is Jesus Christ. And where do you learn about Jesus? In the Bible, in the Gospels. So we're going to focus on one Gospels. Let, let, let me see. Do you guys know which, what, what are the four Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But did you know that there's a fifth Gospel? The Gospel of Isaiah. Like, what? Dave? Hmm? For false doctrine? No, we're going to look at the gospel according to Isaiah. Why Isaiah? If you understand that everything that we see in Christ was prophesied in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, when Paul was preaching the word, he was, he was arguing with the Jews and showing them that Jesus is the Messiah. But at the time of Paul, they did not have the New Testament. So he was using the Old Testament to show that Jesus is the Messiah. And one of those books that gives us a full revelation of the gospel is the book of Isaiah. So as we head towards the holidays, we're going to explore how Isaiah presents the coming Messiah. Because Christmas is about the coming king, is about the coming of the Messiah. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles with me in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25, which is our first passage for today. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, 
because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. What a powerful name, the name of Jesus. And that verse, that quote that Matthew uses comes from Isaiah 7.14, one of the common passages of Christmas. And it goes, Isaiah 7.14 goes like this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Father God, we pray that you speak to your people this morning and that you show your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. When reading scripture, a lot of times we like to take verses and we run with the verse without the context, right? Um, this verse, a common Christmas verse, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel. And as we saw, that prophecy was fulfilled in the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, which is himself God with us. I heard a preacher say, and they say a lot, when you see the word therefore in scripture, you need to figure out what it's there for. Um, the, the Isaiah, God says, I will give you a sign. I will give you a sign. And the sign will be that the virgin will become pregnant and, 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 and give birth to a son. And that son's name will be Emmanuel, God with us. But what sign is he talking about? What is the situation at that moment that they would even need a sign? He says, therefore, I will give you a sign. What happened before we got to this point helps us to understand the meaning of this verse. And so if we go further up in the passage in Isaiah, and we start from the verse, the first verse of chapter seven, it says, when Ahaz son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram. Aram is Syria. And Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Let, 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 me, let me read this again. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Basically, if I would use a, our, our language, so they, 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 were, they were afraid. They were, they were so afraid because two countries, the country of Syria and the country of Israel. Now you would remember that previously after the death of Solomon, what happened to the country of Israel? It split. It split into two kingdoms. The kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom it is called, and the, um, the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom. And when they split, the guy who, who orchestrated the split said, hmm, the house of Judah is faithful to David, and David was a servant of the Lord. If I want those people to be faithful to me, I have to have them serve another Lord. So he turned the hearts of the people away from God, and from that point on, the northern kingdom of Israel was unfaithful to God. King after king that came, they were all bad, all bad kings. And the prophets would contend to them, but all the kings were bad. But in Judah, they had good kings and they had bad kings. Ahaz is the king of Judah, and unfortunately, he's actually a bad king. He's a very bad king. And you will see the story of Ahaz in 2 Kings chapter 16 and 2 Chronicles chapter 28. And it tells you, um, in the first verse of chapter 16, it says... Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years 
unlike his father David, he did not do what was right in the, in the eyes of the Lord as God. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord as God. So he was a bad king. Amongst the different things, uh, we don't have time obviously to read the whole chapters, but amongst the things that he did, one, he sacrificed his own son. Meaning, he took his boy, like DJ, say, well, hey, and he gave him and he killed the son for a false god. That is one of his crimes. Another crime, in the practice of idolatry, they imitated the countries, the other nations that God had taken away from the land because of they were doing sins. They started imitating them and doing just like the world around them was doing. So they started idolatry and, 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 and sacrifices to false gods and, and all that stuff. And in his fear, he was terrified of the alliance of Syria and Israel, and as he was terrified, he prostituted himself, and he prostituted the temple of God to please the king of the superpower of the time, which was Assyria, not Syria, Assyria. And and so he took the good stuff of the temple of God, gave him to the king of Assyria. He took altars that were from outside designed by for the false gods and he brought them in the temple of God. So he prostituted himself to get the favor of the, the, the top dog in the area. How many people know when you're afraid, you make dumb decisions? We lived in the past two years in a state of fear. And when you act in a state of fear, you don't act right. When you let fear control your life, you make Anybody, you ever made a decision that was based on fear and you, you turned around and you found out, oh snap, that was not the right thing, or I was afraid for no reason? You did something and you thought, oh, you know, I'm going to get to work and things are going to be bad and you get to work, oh, it's not that bad. Sometimes we're more afraid of, of we're afraid because of our imagination. They say that 90% of the things that we fear don't even come to pass. They don't even come to pass. Ahaz was in a state of total fear. So if we follow verse 3 and following, then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out and your son shears the shoe to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the of the pool, of the road, of the laundress field, say to him, be careful, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart of this, because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, and the son of Remalia, Syria and Ephraim and Remalia, son, have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it amongst yourselves and make the son of Tebel king over it. Now look at this. The prophet comes to Ahaz and he says, yes, it's true. The, 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 the king of Syria and the king of Israel, they're, they're plotting against you and they want to destroy you. Yes, they want to take you down. I'm coming here this afternoon and I have bad news for you. I have bad news. The enemy has plotted against you. The world is plotting against you. I know we like the world, but I want to tell you bad news. The world doesn't like you. The world doesn't like you. The world doesn't like the Lord that you're serving. The enemy sees that you're serving Jesus Christ and he wants to destroy you. That is just a fact. Every breath that you take, there's somebody that's trying to take you out. If you're in business, you know you can't sleep because somebody is trying to take over your position. Somebody's trying to be number one. Somebody is, you, back in the day you had blockbusters, Netflix came, took them down. There's always somebody trying to take you down. But look at what God said to the king. Through the prophet, it said, verse 7, Yet, this is what the sovereign Lord says, It will not take place, it will not happen for the... It will not take place, it will not happen. You can walk in peace and confidence, because what is plotted against you, it will not take place, it will not happen, says the Lord. And the Lord is the one providing your safety. And he says, he continues, verse 8. 
For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin, meaning it's only a human. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. Within 65 years, Ephraim would be too shattered. So those countries that you're afraid of, in a little bit of time, they're not going to be anymore. Verse 9, the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's sons. It doesn't even... The prophet despises him so much, he doesn't give his name. He's just Remaliah's son. But then he says this. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. The challenge that you're facing, the challenges that we're facing are to try our faith. Are we going to stand strong in our faith? If you stand strong in your faith, God will sustain you. God will protect you. And ultimately, God will give you the victory. I'm not saying you're not going to have hard times. If you read the book of Kings and the book of, of Chronicles, you will see Ahaz had reason to be afraid. Because those two, they came after him. They gave him a shellacking. They gave him a bid down. And so much that they, they, they were about to deport 120,000 people. And the prophet of God came and said, hey, 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 send them back. And they sent them back. But they took a beating. And in life, you're going to take beatings. It's going to be hard. But if you stand in your faith, ultimately, you will have the victory. And here's, here's what goes, verse 10. He says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest of depths, or the highest of heights. Ask God for a sign. You ever been in a situation where you say, you know what, I don't know about this. God, give me a sign. I know some of you did. Don't lie. I know some of you, you, you saw the girl. You like the girl. You're not sure. Say, God, give me a sign that she's the one. Say, if she comes to school with black shoes, then she's the one. She always comes to school with black, black shoes. Amen. You know, if she calls me, if she texts back, then she's the one. Amen, call? Amen? No? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? How many will you ask God for a sign? Ahaz said this. He gave what sounds like a very godly answer. He said, verse 11. No, verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And, and, and that sounds very godly because earlier in, in the book of Leviticus, he said, don't put God to the test. You need to trust God. You don't need to be put signs before God. No, you need to trust him. Don't test the Lord. So he sounds very, very good. But what we learn from Ahaz is that he was ungodly. So it's not that he would not put the Lord to the test. It's that he would not put his trust in the Lord. And so verse 13 goes, Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. It is not enough that you try the patience of humans. Will you try also the patience of God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Even if you're not asking for it, I'm going to give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. When you read the Old Testament... When you read the Bible, actually as a whole, there's a concept that I think it's good for us to understand. It's the concept of the type and the antitype. The type and the antitype. The type is the story in history. It's what happened in, in history. And then the antitype is what the fulfillment of that story. In the... um. The Nelson Illustrated Bible defines type as a figure, representation, or symbol of something to come as an event in the Old Testament foreshadows another in the New Testament. Shelby, follow. Yeah. So in, just to give you examples, in studying types, in the Bible, you would say as, and you would see so. And examples that we know is, for instance, 1 Corinthians 15, 22. As in Adam, all die. 
even so in Christ shall be all shall, shall be made alive. As in the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Matthew 24, 37. John 3, 14. Moses, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of God must be lifted up. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In Matthew 12, 44. So you see how in the Old Testament there would be a story, like the story of Jonah. And the story of Jonah happened in history, but it was also a, 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 a figure, a prefigure of what, what was going to happen in prophecy when Jesus was going to come, die, and then rise again the third day. So we see the type in the Old Testament, but the anti-type, the fulfillment in the New Testament in Jesus Christ. And in this story, the sign, we also see the type. If we go, if you jump with me in chapter 8, verse 3, we'll see that the type is, and that's uh, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 3 and 4, Isaiah says, Then I made love to the prophetess, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said to me, Name him Maher Shahal Hazbaz, for before the boy knows how to say my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. And so when Isaiah said, I'll give you a sign, the virgin will be pregnant and, and give son, that actually happened in history. In the next chapter, Isaiah gave, Isaiah's wife, gave birth to a son. And by the time the son became a teen, those two countries that he was afraid of, they were gone. Assyria came and, and, and took care of Syria, and they took care of Israel. I want to tell you this afternoon that what got you afraid, what got you shaking in your boots, is only temporary because God is going to take care of it. What got you worried, you, 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 sometimes we're so focused, we think that it, it's going to last forever. It's not going to last forever. It's only going to last for a time because eventually God has got to get you out of this. God has got to get you out of this. But he's building your faith. He's building your faith. That situation, I don't know if you're getting bullied at school, but that's only for a time. And from my experience, the people who were cool in school are the people now that drool at the nerds. If you're a nerd, you're in good shape because later on, the nerds are the ones with the big jobs. So you don't have to worry about being cool. You have to be worried about being faithful. What is, is causing you trouble now is only for a time. It's only for a time. So the type was that Isaiah's son was going to be born and, 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 and signal that God was going to take care of those two enemies. Now the any type is as follows. Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. What was making Ahaz tremble in his boots were two kingdoms, the kingdom of, of, of Israel and the kingdom of Syria. But what is ailing us now, all our troubles are because of sin. Whether it's our sins or whether it's somebody else's sin, but what we're going through a lot of times is because of sin. But Jesus came first to deliver us from sin. He came, and so, so the significance of this, the significance is that in Christ, and when you see Christmas, understand this, that the, the reason behind it is that Jesus gives us deliverance. Jesus gives us deliverance. He gives us freedom. Freedom doesn't come from governments. Freedom comes from Jesus Christ. They can, they can shackle your hands, but your soul is free in Christ. We have a lot of brothers in Christ that are in jail right now, but they are free because they're in Christ. So as the antitype, Jesus gives us freedom from sin. He gives us freedom from the one who holds the power of sin, which is Satan. 
What happened when Adam sinned, he, he, Adam was on top when he sinned, his dominion went down and the enemy's dominion came on top. But here's what it says. If you follow with me in 1 John 3, 8, it says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And God not only delivers us from our own sin, but he delivers us from the dominion of the devil. So meaning you belong to God, you don't belong to the devil. You might stumble along the way, but you still belong to God. And the reason Judah could not be destroyed is because they were the people of God and God had a plan for their life. And the reason that you cannot be destroyed until the time comes is because you have a purpose. You belong to God and he has a plan for your life and you cannot go until that purpose is fulfilled. Because you're part of the plan of God. You know that, right? You know you're part of the plan of God. You guys know you are, did you know you're in the Bible actually? You're in the Bible. DJ, you're in the Bible. You're in the Bible. You know how you know you're in the Bible? John said he saw a multitude from all people, all nations, all languages. He saw that multitude. So you and I that believe in Christ, we're part of that multitude. We're part of those that will be in the kingdom. And until your time comes, the devil cannot touch you. Now, yes, you can stumble. Yes, you can have difficulties. Yes, actually, the God can say, okay, yeah, touch her finances. Yeah, touch her health. But ultimately, you have the deliverance. You have the freedom because Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the enemy. Here's what he says in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, 15. He says, when you were dead in your trespasses, And in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our trespasses, having canceled the debt ascribed to us in the decrees that stood against us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross." Having disarmed the powers and the authority. That's talking about Satan and his demons. Having disarmed them. And, and, and the image that I find striking is, if you're ever outside and you see a bee, right? You see a bee flying around or a wasp. What are you afraid of? You're afraid that they're going to sting you. Right? Anybody afraid to be stung by a bee? Well, imagine that. When it says here, having disarmed, the image is, is you take the bee and you take away the sting. You take the bee, you take away the sting. So now it could fly around, buzz, 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 but it cannot hurt you. And that's what the devil can do. He can come, he can bark. He can bark, he can bark. You see, when I was young, I was walking, uh, back back in those days you could, I was walking in kindergarten, um, walking to school. And there was this black dog. This black dog. And you would walk and the black dog would... And then back then, I was about probably this height, so I would run. But now if I see the dog... Nah, don't do that. Don't do that. Child Protective Services come... I mean, Animal Protective Services, Peter coming after you. Don't do not do that. That's not good. But you, you ever been there, you walk in the street and the dog goes... And you, you jump and you see it's a little chihuahua. It's a little chihuahua, and, and then you're like, and then you're a grown man, and you try to walk. But that's the devil. Right now, he could buzz, he could buzz, he could buzz. But with Christ, you have the protection. With Christ, you have the power. Because he came to deliver us from sin, and he came to deliver us from Satan, and he came to de- deliver us from the world, from the system of the world. He says, in John 14, 33, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I don't want to make it seem that life is going to be easy peasy. No, you're going to have great challenges. You're going to have hard situations that you're going to face. But understand this, you can have peace because ultimately Christ overcame the world. So the significance of this is that not only do we have 
deliverance. We have deliverance from sin. We have deliverance from Satan. And we have deliverance from the world. So now you're able to walk free. You're able to, 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 to walk in victory in Christ. But there's something that's even deeper, that's mind-boggling, is that Jesus came not only so that we may have deliverance, but he came so that we can have acceptance. That we can be accepted in the kingdom of God. It, it, it's... um. It's mind-boggling because God is holy. God is perfect, and we're imperfect. And I don't know about you, but I got, it's not like I have one sin. It's not like I got two sins. I got like a multitude of sins. Actually, if I go down the list of the Ten Commandments, guilty of all charges. Guilty of all charges. But it's king and country that has a song, and in, in, in the um, in the speak, the guy says, it's not, the amazing thing, it's not that we get to accept Christ in our lives. That's normal. I mean, you have the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I mean, it would be unwise to not receive the, the, the one who holds the keys to the universe. But what is amazing is that not only does he allow us to receive him, he receives us. He accepts us into his kingdom, into his presence. So what, what, what that means practically, practically that means that God is working for you. God is working for you. Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good for those who love Jesus, those he has called for his purpose. So there's things happening right now. Maybe you feel you're down, but I want you to know this afternoon that there are things working right now that you don't even know about. There's things happening in the background. There are companies being built right now to be a blessing for you in the future. There are situations, uh, the angels of God being at work, and you don't even know. You don't even know. I, it was funny because um, when we when we moved, I'll give you the short version, everything went wrong. Everything went wrong. Everything was, was going wrong. But then at a certain point, I was like, God... Why? We, we, just in context, we had signed that we were selling our house in Margate and the deals that we were trying to do, they fell through. So literally in 45 days, we would be homeless, supposedly. Not really. I mean, it would go to my parents' condo or something, right? But you face the prospect of being homeless. We'll probably crash at Clervin's house. Let's crash on the couch. Yeah? I can say yeah, right. But everything went bad, everything went bad, everything went bad, everything went bad. And and I'm like, in my heart, oh man, God, what's happening? And God said, I told you to move. I told you to move. I told you to move. And then one Friday night, and they forget to send us the extension for the contract, so we're not on the contract. Priscilla is, goes, Dave, look at this. I'm like, what? Uh, and then she found a house. And I see the name of the agent. The name of the agent is 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 a French Canadian name, so I know that's my people's. I know those names. That's one of mine. That's one of my people. So we 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 um we call a brother from the church. We go um schedule an appointment. We go with my parents and we see her. Uh, you know, catch up about Montreal, the good days, blah blah blah. Long story short, the house is selling on the on the market. The, the realtor tells us, this is way below everything else in the neighborhood. Priscilla goes and says, should we, should we try to negotiate down? I said, no, babe, we don't, no, no, we don't negotiate. Somebody gives you a deal, don't negotiate this. So we send the offer in, and she says this, I have other offers, but I'm going to put yours through. I'm going to put yours through. And where we ended up in our plan, that was better than what we had planned. And the house was built in 2006. 2006 is the year I decided to leave Canada to come to the United States. The guy who bought the house was a rich Canadian guy. He bought it for investment. Somebody tried to steal the house. Or I tried to do some scam. They tried to steal the house. And um, it went to court. And nobody lived in the house for 12 years until we moved in. The house was so new that when the cable guy came, he said... Oh, I have to come back because the cable have not been wired in the house, and that's a two-man job. The house was sitting there empty for 12 years. 2006, when I left, I'm like, man, God, you know what you're doing. 
Because I could not have planned this. I could not have made that happen. But God said to me one day, and talking about the orphanage in Haiti, if you give my children a house, I'll give your children a home. If you take care of my children that don't have anything else, I'll take care of yours. Don't worry about yours. Just take care of mine. And I'm telling you this story so that you can understand that Jesus got your back. There are things happening in the background that you don't even know. All you have to worry about is to be faithful to God and he got your back. There are things happening now you're not going to see until 10 years in the future and you're going to know, oh wow, that was amazing. Somebody said that the plan of God, you don't look at it forward. You look at, you look at it looking backwards. Some of the things that are happening in your life, you don't understand why they're happening. You don't understand why I have to go through what I'm going through. But it's when you get to the next step that you can, when you get further on the road that you can look back and see, oh, that's why I had to go through this. That's why I had to suffer in this way. That's why this happened. The one who put it the best is Tony Evans. Tony Evans has an illustration that he says, nobody takes an egg and eats the egg. Well, except Abby, because she did that this morning. She was like picking the egg. Right? But nobody takes an egg and eats egg. Nobody takes flour and, you know, the white flour and, oh, I'm going to eat flour. Nobody takes a lime and just... Nobody goes and takes sugar, except maybe the kids. Anybody ever took sugar and, and just take a, a, a scoop of sugar? Is that all of those individually, we don't like them. We don't like them individually. But when you put them in a master chef's hand and he works together and he puts the right measurement of this and the right measurement of that and then he puts the whole thing in the oven and then the oven bakes it, now you come out and you have a cake. And everybody likes cake, right? Everybody likes, we don't like the individual ingredients, but we like when the, all those ingredients are put together for our favorite meal. And that's God working in the background where, yes, you have to go through this challenge. Yes, you have to go through this, this persecution. Yes, they're talking bad about you at work. Yes, uh, he's getting on your nerves. Yes, she's getting on your, all of that. But God is still at work. And God is still putting all the pieces together for his great purpose to, to be accomplished. And what is amazing with God, so yes, God is working for you in the background. But what is more amazing to me is that God is waiting for you. God is waiting for you. In John chapter 14, verse 1 to verse 3, I paraphrase, but he says, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. I'm telling you these things so that you can know that I am going to prepare for you a room. There are many mentions. There are many rooms in my father's house. I am going to prepare you a spot. So understand that Jesus, when Jesus rose, one of the reasons that Jesus wasn't staying here is that he had to go to prepare a place for you. And the illustration that he uses is the illustration of a, of a Jewish wedding where it was the custom of the groom to prepare a house for the bride. Right, so it was customary for the groom to prepare a house for the bride so that when the bride, when they would get married, the bride would have a house. If you've been married, you know there's a lot of work that happens before the wedding. There's a lot of things going on before the wedding. But at the appointed time, most of the time, the wedding happens. And the wedding, that's the big day, right? I remember when my brother, Vlad, who preached here before, got married... Um, they wanted to be on, you know, on Canadian time, if I can use the expression. And I remember we left the house in the limo. And when we got to the corner street, they're like, oh, snap, we forgot something. But we don't want to turn the limo around because we got to be on American time or Canadian time. So, Dave, we need you to go to the house, get that thing, get the car and meet us at the church on time. So I go, I say, yeah, no problem, grab the keys, and then I start my little running. Oh, okay. I was in better shape back then, right? So then I, I run, go to the house, grab the car, and then I go, and um, statute of limitation is over. So I, I broke some laws, some Canadian traffic laws, but I made it at the same time as the limo, right? And when you get in, uh, we got in the church, and they're trying, they're going to play the music, 
uh, something happening in the CD. The guy who was in charge, they hired a guy to be in charge, a master kind of master behind the scene. He's like, don't worry, I got five CDs. If this one don't work, that one will work. If that one don't work, I got, I got all everything planned. And my brother's wedding, believe it or not, started on time. Hallelujah. If you look at the video, the funny thing is, look at the video, the beginning, it's empty. Because everybody thought they were going to be on Haitian time. But then you look at the end, it's packed, right? But they wanted to make a statement to start on time. Because there's anticipation. Understand this. Jesus preparing you a spot. We're going to get there on time. We're going to get there and he wants us to be in his presence. He did all of this not only for us to get deliverance, but for us to get acceptance and to be in the presence. Understand, and, and I know we've, we've had a hard time, right? In the past two years, it's been, for me, you know how it feels the past two years? If you guys remember um, Infinity Wars, when Thanos did the, and half of humanity disappeared. That's kind of like how it feels, right? We've lost a lot of people. We lost a lot of people in the past two years. And we've cried. We cried a lot. But you know one thing? The people that we lost in Christ, they're not crying. They're not crying. Because they're in the presence of God. They're not crying because what is over there is so much greater than what is over here. It's not even funny. It's mind-boggling. You guys will remember last week I told you the story of the guy who who died for a moment and went to heaven. He didn't want to come back. He didn't want to come back because heaven was so, 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 so much better. The illustration I like to use is like, imagine if you ever had like, you know, you go in those leftovers in the kitchen and, you know, you have like, let's say you have a chicken like a chicken drum, and you're going to put it in the microwave at night, everybody's asleep, and you get the snack. And you take that chicken, and it falls. And I know it's the afternoon, so everybody's hungry, so let me make you more hungry. And and it falls on the floor. Show of hand, how many people, five-second rule, you take it, and you eat it? Five-second rule. See, me, I got zero-second rule. I did that one time, and it didn't sit well on my stomach. <laughs> so, 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 like, I, I ain't doing that. It falls on the floor, it's over. But imagine, like, you know how you feel when that happens. I fell in like, oh, and I so wanted that. And you're, but imagine that at that moment, knock on the door. Say, Amel, come, boom. Say, say, Enisia, come. Say, boom, boom. And they come with, like, those, how the Haitian mummies know how to cook, right? And they come with turkey. And they come with zirikolakwa. They come with griyo. They come with all that stuff. No cholesterol involved. They come with all that stuff. Guess what happened to that little chicken drum? You forgot about it. You forgot about it because now you got the salmon and the, the lumbi and all of that good Haitian stuff. The pickles, don't forget the pickles, amen. I mean, I mean, if you all believe in peakless, amen. So, you, you get all of that good stuff. All of that good stuff. You forget that you lost the chicken wing. You forget about that. Why? Because what you got is so much better. Now, we're making fun, but understand this. That what God has is so much better. I told you last week, I love visiting houses and especially like the design, like how they do the design. It's like, it's mind boggling. It's like so nice. Um, while I was at work, not at work actually, when I was working, I, I stumbled on Alicia Key's house in, in LA. Well, all I can see is this house is on fire. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's a house. Like it's, uh, this actually the inspiration between for the um, Tony Stark house in, in the Marvel movies. Like, it's on the hill and it's architectural. Wow. But you know what? There is no way, absolutely no way, that anything on earth is better than what's in heaven. So if God is preparing for a place for us, you can bet you it's way better than whatever you can see on earth. And so what is amazing, when you see the lights and you see, don't worry about that. Worry that Christ came to give us acceptance because we're going to be in the presence of God because he's waiting for us. And ultimately, ultimately, what I want you to take away from this message is God is with you. God is with you. And Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, 
who can be against us? If God is for you, if God is with you, you can walk with confidence. We can have, well, number one, you can have comfort because it's been hard, right? And it's okay to be sad. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to go through these things. And you know that because Jesus is with you, you have comfort of the Holy Spirit. You have the, he's called himself the comforter, the best friend, the friend that comes with you. And as you're going through the valley of shadow of death, you don't have to fear any evil because he is with you. And his rod and his staff, they comfort you. He is right there with you all the time. When you're by yourself crying, he's right there. When you're on the mountaintop and everybody thinks you're so great, but he's still right there. And, and it's funny because in, in the, when God said to Ahaz, ask for a, a sign, and he could, whether it be the highest of signs or the deepest of, of lows, ask for a sign. And it's funny that God would send the one that came from the highest place, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he sent him to the lowest place at the worst time possible. And he allowed him to suffer the worst death possible at the cross to the lowest of lows so Jesus understand deeply what you're going through because he went through through it himself he went through the pain he went through the tiredness he went through the abandonment he went through the people talking bad the insults the the beatings and all that he went through all of that so he can understand you the Hebrew says we do not have a high priest that cannot empathize with what we're going through but rather he can empathize because he was tempted in every way but he did not sin so because of him now we can have access to the throne of God. We can approach the throne of God with confidence because of Jesus Christ. So you can have, understand that he is with you. He is inside of you with the Holy Spirit. Everywhere you go, he is there. Every challenge that you face, he is there. Every ups, he is there. Every down, he is there. He will never forsake you, will never abandon you. He'll be with you until the end of days. And that is the significance of Christmas. That is the significance of the holiday that we celebrate. It's not only about the gifts. Yeah, that's good. It's not only about, yes, spending time with family. That's good. But what happens when the family is not there? What happens when you're in the military, you're deployed overseas? Jesus is still there. Jesus is still there. He is with you. So the sign is that he would come. And the significance is that he came to give us deliverance and acceptance. But now we look around us and we have the signs of our time. We have signs that we've never been as close to the end of days. I don't know if you feel like me, but when you look at what the scripture says about the end of days, and when you look at what's happening in the world, you look at what the Bible says and you look what the newspaper says, and you might as well read one or the other. Because the Bible says what? In the last days, people would be cold. The love of many will dry. Uh, and, we, and we see kind of like the same evil that we saw in the time of Ahaz, where you watch on the news and you see somebody standing at the metro uh, in, in New York and somebody just come and try to push him onto the oncoming train. Why? Why? We have a situation here now. It's a trial of a young man that went into school and I said, oh, yeah, let me just shoot up people. Why? No reason. No reason. He says, I heard voices. I heard voices. The, the, the Bible says the enemy is, I'm saying in is unleashed because he knows his time is short. So everything that you see happening in, in the book of Revelation, you have the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? The first one is the white horse and the white horse goes and conquers. Uh, and then there's debate about what that means. The second one is the black horse. The black horse represents famine and inflation and then prices going through the roof. Now, I don't know about you, but right now my pocket is hurting because of them gas prices, right? Up 42%. And then you see, they say that this Thanksgiving is going to be the, 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 the most expensive Thanksgiving in, in American history. But guess what? The salary didn't change. <laughs> it stays the same, right? The price went up. The salaries didn't change. And, and, and that's inflation. But that's a sign of the time. And then the, the third one is the pale. The pale represents sickness. And then you look everywhere you look. We've been in two years of pandemic. We've been in, in, in but it, it, pandemic is one thing. But what about heart disease? How about cancer? How about diabetes? How about Alzheimer's? And the list goes on and on and on and on. You would be hard pressed to find somebody that doesn't have at least one prescription drug. 
That's the pale horse. And then the last one, the fiery one, is the horse of the sword, the violence. And you look, Pastor Perry was telling me before, Haiti is overrun by gangs. Like gangs are controlling the country. Like, like there's no functioning government that can put an end to that. So now you have the violence where you have to come and arm that church. But that's just one country. You, you look here, Chicago, every week, and you hear about shootings and shooting. And all over the place, there's violence. We are in the last days. We are in the last days. But understand this, that in the last days, so in the past, in Isaiah's time, God gave a sign, and the sign was Isaiah's son, and that was the sign that he was going to break those two countries. In, in the middle of time, when Jesus came, that was the sign that God, Jesus and God was going to destroy the enemy, was going to destroy the works of the devil, was going to destroy the work of sin and claim dominion over the, the earth, dominion over the, uni- the universe. But now in this time, until we get to the full fulfillment, there's another series of signs. And those signs are you and me because we are now the representatives of Christ and we are sent out to make a change and impact so that we, that, that we can empty hell and, and, and fill up heaven. And I'm going to leave you with this verse, Matthew chapter 28, the last, so we started with the first chapter of Matthew, now we're in the last chapter of Matthew, and he goes like this, it's called the Great Commission, and he says, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. It says, obedience, so so the signs of our time requires from us obedience, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The book of Matthew started by telling us that Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. And it ends by Jesus telling us, go and make disciples. Now, in this church, we have a great mentorship ministry. We have great, I love it, keep up the good work. Now, there's a difference between mentorship and discipleship. Mentorship, I'm trying to get you to do something better, right? So if I, if you're an architect and you start, you can get an architect mentor and he'll show you how to become a great architect. If you're an accountant, if you're a nurse, you find somebody and he can mentor you into becoming a better in that profession. But the disciple is you're trying to become like someone. The disciple is trying to be like the master. And what Jesus said is, go and make people like me. Go and make disciples. But to make disciples, you yourself have to be a disciple. You yourself have to be like Christ. Because you are the sign that God is going to send in somebody else's life. When they're down and they don't know what to do, your words of encouragement might be the sign that God is sending to them to show them that they have victory. When they see you going through hardship and they see that you're not through the press, they see that you're going through it, but that God allows you to rise, then you can testify of the glory of the Lord. You can magnify the name of the Lord because you saw what he did in your life and they see that and they know that you are a sign because we are the ambassadors of Christ. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is with you. Follow him. Obey him. Walk in comfort, courage, and conviction. God bless you.